Hey, I want to welcome you to a special bonus episode we have for our podcast today. This summer, our pastor did a special parenting series during our family summer seminar. We entitled it The Four Stages of Parenting. This is the first stage of parenting. We call it the preschool age. Hope you enjoy this bonus content. Jump into this if we would now in Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2, if you'll find that and just get ready for, for us and the, uh, the message here. Uh, and so in Exodus chapter 2, uh, I want us, if we would, to read a few verses that will kind of set for us um, uh, just the, uh, the framework uh, to help us to understand about how important this is, okay? And so in Exodus chapter 2 and then in verse number 1, the Bible tells us now in Exodus chapter 2 and verse number 1, it says, uh, There went a man of the house of Levi and took a wife of the daughter of Levi, and the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could no, not longer hide him, she took for him um, an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein. And she laid it in the flags, the cattails if you were, the flags by the river's brink. And his sister then stood afar off to wit what would be done to him and the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and her maids walked along by the river side. And when she saw the ark among the flags, <coughs> she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, you got to love this, and behold, the babe wept. That'll get a hold of someone's heart, right? And she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrew children, then said his sister, uh, so Moses' sister to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for thee? And the Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. Uh, and so now the one who bare Moses is the one now is raising him. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, take this child away and nurse it for me and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses, and she said, because I drew him out of the water to draw out. Obviously, the name was also uh, just ordained by God. The Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd bless us now in this time and just help and teach us now. We'd pray just from your word and lead and guide us now in this time, we'd ask. And we'd pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, give me the screen there, if you would, Sean. Just click on it. There we go. Uh, so this one we're going to deal with, and we're talking about the four stages. These are kind of cute kids. I don't know if they exactly uh, align with four different age groups that we'll look at. But nonetheless, there'll be four different stages that we're going to deal with. And so we'll see here first where generally we will call it just the matter or the age uh, of preschoolers. So as we start in this series now, dealing with the matter of parenting, uh, it truly is a very, very important topic. Uh, because it's one of the most important duties that God gives to us. We're supposed to be saved, we're supposed to serve God, but also we're supposed to raise our family, our children, in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And so it's so vitally important for us to be very diligent now and very committed towards this matter of raising our children. So in four weeks now, we'll look at this through some different life stages and just how important that is. And so as we do talk about this matter of, of parenting, we're gonna start first with this preschool age. And I wanna say that whenever we have children, it really becomes a strong motivation, a motivational pull in our life, if you would. 
we make many decisions and even many sacrifices related to our children. Now, I could make a connection to this in different ways, but let me make one a little bit more about around our church or our school, if you would. What are some of the sacrificial steps that parents would often make for their children? One of the things is, is that parents actually get back into church at a time where their children start to grow. It's one of the main reasons why um, saved young people who have got dropped out of church actually get back into church again is because of children and the importance of them being in the word of God and growing up in the Lord. So that's one of the sacrifices that we would make. Also to place your children in a Christian school, which is an investment uh, where they could go to public school, but you'd make that investment for them to go to the Christian school. Also, you would enroll them and you would drive them. You'd be mom's taxi, right? And you would take them to different activities. It might be for sports. It might be for camps, obviously, uh, or music or band, just like you heard um, uh, Garcia Grove just playing on the violin. And so they're just different sacrifices that way that we make. Also, uh, and this is an amazing thing, you love your kids so much, you want something better for them. There are many different parents that put their kids on a church bus and send them off to church. Now, when you think about that, I want to be honest with you and say that doesn't really make sense. Amen? You take your kids and you put them on a bus with somebody who you don't know. They're going to take them to a church that you don't know, right? Uh, and they're going to teach them whatever you don't know, but you hope it's good Christian stuff, right? And then they come back again. But why is it that parents do that? Because parents want better for their children than what they had for themselves. They want something better for them. And so that's simply why they do it, because they just love their children and they make that kind of investment. Now imagine if you could, that you knew this, God said it to you or you knew that you actually could only train your children. You would only have your children until three or four years old. That's as long as you would have them. And then you would have to take your child and send it back into a secular or heathen world. They would actually be raised then in the world and by the world. You say, wow, that would be scary. And yet I want to say to you that it's obviously exactly what it is that happened then to, um, uh, I'm going to advance it in the wrong way here. So um, I knew this was so confusing. So it's on here. There we go. Of course it is. And so this is exactly what happened to Moses. What happened was is that he was placed in the ark and then he was put into the cocktails, as you see there. Uh, <coughs> and then Pharaoh's daughter came by. And when Pharaoh's daughter came by, uh, then um, uh, she heard the babe and she brought him and she took him then to herself. Now she said then, I'm going to pay mama wages, but she said then, you nurse him. And when he's weaned, now by Jewish tradition and that, it would be weaned at three or at the very, very most four years old. So let's just use the max and say that she had then her son to train in the ways of the Lord for four years, and that's all she had him. And then she had to turn him back over to Pharaoh's daughter, and he was raised in Pharaoh's household to actually, as it's believed by many, to be the successor for the throne, that Moses then will go to the throne. And so we see then that he was raised in Pharaoh's house in his Pharaoh's court, and this was what his life was, but then God, he, he fled from there, was behind the mountain for 40 years, and then God brought Moses back, and Moses then was the great deliverer that brought the children of Israel out from Egypt and across the Red Sea on dry land and into the wilderness, and then all the way up to the point of entering into the promised land. Moses did all of that. Now, what a victory is it, what a victory is it that a child that was raised in the Lord for four years, then in turn turned out to be such a mighty man of God who loved God, feared God, honored God, and lived for God. 
What an amazing, amazing truth that is when mama only had him for four years to raise him for the Lord. Let me tell you of another instance where that happened. Baby Samuel, Hannah cried for Samuel and cried for a son. God, give me a son, give me a son. And God heard and answered her prayer and he gave to her Samuel. She told her husband Elkanah that I'm going to raise him and train him until he is weaned. And once he is weaned on the high day, I'm going to go to the feast in the high day with you. And then I'm going to present Samuel then to the Lord. And so we see him here now as his mama brings him and then presents him to the Lord. He's four years old and she says, you go into the house of God and you're going to live now with Eli, the man of God. And this is going to be your life now. Now certainly Samuel had a better life opportunity than Moses did. Better to be raised in the house of God as he was as opposed to being raised in a very heathen uh, environment of Pharaoh and with all of what would be going on in Pharaoh's household. But in both of them, listen to me now, in both those instances, they were with their mother, raised in the ways of the Lord for probably four years. But Moses and Samuel went on and lived for God. Now we talked then about raising preschoolers, and here's the question I want to ask you. If you knew, if you knew that you only had your children for four years, and that was all, and then they were going to be taken away from you to go into whatever environment that would be. And they were going to live a different, under a different environment for all the rest of their days. If you knew that was so, then would you be more earnest in raising them? Would you pray more faithfully for them? Would you open the Bible up with them more often if you knew you only had four years and that was all? Would you raise your preschooler more seriously for the Lord? If you knew you only had him for four years and that was it. Now that helps us to kind of capture this idea of what is we're talking about. Because there's a lot that goes to this, all right? And we want to be able to have the Lord's blessing. We want to be wise in this thing. We want to do right. And we want to be pleasing to the Lord. But we want to try to give our kids the very best opportunity that we can. Now, there's a lot of things in life that they need to learn. And whenever you want to get some wisdom in life, you just go to John Wayne. And I love this one now, and I lost my connection here. This is not going to work. So um, sometimes you just get too fancy for yourself, amen? And so, um, wait just a minute, it'll come out. There it is. So life is hard. It's harder if you're stupid, amen? So <laughs> just some good wisdom for life, amen? Kirk, can you read that from back there? Can you? Okay. Because they roped off the last four, four uh, rows there. So uh, just letting you know. So, so life is hard, but it's harder if you're stupid. And so what we want to do then is I want you to take your bulletin. And we're going to jump right into this now in order to get started. And so the Bible definition then, an interesting thought here as we get started. And that is just this Bible definition, a Bible definition, uh, if you would, of, uh, of a preschool age. The Bible tells us. Uh, in a couple of verses, something I think that's important enough for us to be able to capture, to get a hold of. First off, we understand that this preschool age that the Bible speaks of actually starts, listen to me now, at birth, but actually it starts even before birth. And so there's a verse here, and we have a word highlighted on here, but it says in that from a child... Thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. Now I'm going to show you two verses. And both of them use the word child. But it is a different root word. It's a different Greek word that is found with this. Uh, and it has a different idea to it, if you would. 
But it tells us here in 2 Timothy, and we're going to actually turn to this passage in a moment, but it says, From a child that thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which is able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now we're going to look at that verse much more carefully because there's some great truths in that. But here's what I want you to understand. This usage here, this word child, means from the very earliest form of life, specifically in the womb, okay? And so what happens then as we deal with this matter of preschool, we are dealing then with a life given from God in the very earliest form and stage, uh, and that is a, a life in the womb even before that child is born. We'll obviously speak some things towards that. The letter B, as you'll see in your handout there, uh, gives to us then this next verse, and a very common verse that we'll also look at in a moment too, but it says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. And that usage or rendering of child deals with an infant, an infant, which could be newborn or uh, just zero, one years old or something, but it actually goes up to the very beginning of what you call adolescence, so seven uh, seven or eight years old. Now, as we lay down this foundation, and the reason why I talk about this, when you talk about a Bible definition for a preschool age, here's the thrust that I want you to understand, uh, and it's just so very important for each of us to understand or to see, and that's this, that this strong training, it is so important that strong training takes place from zero to seven years old. From zero to seven years old, okay? So the most important thing that we do with our children is zero to seven years old. Now listen, as a pastor and pastoring for many years, here's what I understand. It's impossible for you to teach a targeted message without some people feeling like this doesn't relate to me. And I explained that to you already. It's also impossible for you to preach a real targeted message without some people saying that kind of hurts because what you're telling us is important, that has passed for me already, okay? So some of you here obviously have children that are over that age already. And so because of that, it becomes even, you know, a little bit uh, of an edge to it, a little bit uh, hurtful, if you would, in a sense. And I want to promise you, and I hope that you know this, that it's never my intention to be hurtful with anything that we do. I only want to help. So the issue here always is, is to start wherever we are. Right now, today, start wherever we are and go forward. If you have multiple kids, then it's very likely that they're in multiple different stages or they'll be in different of the four stages that we're going to talk about. Some of you have kids that will be in three or more of those stages. And so hopefully then each one of the messages will be a help to you uh, and just an encouragement to you. Now, here's something, and this was just an important quote, and that is that the first five years have so much to do with how the next 80 turn out. The first five years have so much to do with how the next 80 will turn out. Now, we're going to get to some specific things here at the end, and there's a list of them. And some of them come from some studies and different extensive studies, secular studies that they do, that say what is really important things that happen in those very early formative years, from zero on up to five, six years old, what are some really important things that happen in that age? And so I want us to make sure, if we would, to, to capture those and to get a hold of those truths, just understanding, again, how important this age is. 
So we'll move that through that first part quickly, but now look at this next part and just write this down in Roman numeral number two, and that is the, uh, the biblical early childhood development. Now, you've heard early childhood development. If you've worked in education and in preschool education, you hear it all the time, early childhood development. But what we want to understand is biblical early childhood development. What does the Bible say? What's biblical truths that will help us in this matter of raising our children from a very early age? And so we want to, to grasp a hold of that. Now, you don't need to hold your place where we're at in Exodus. Turn, if you would, to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. I told you that we were going to look at this verse more in depth because there's just so much here. And we want to be able to see this and just be encouraged by this now. And so 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy in chapter number 3. 2 Timothy chapter number 3, all right? So let's see if we can find this here now. And so in 2 Timothy chapter number 3, uh, and then we want to see this. And so letter A there, if you fill that out in Roman numeral number 2. So letter A, if you'll, if you'll fill this out. And I had you, uh, uh, yeah, so 2 Timothy. Uh, and so here's that point then. So childhood development, listen to this now. Childhood development depends on the right what now? Teacher. The right teacher. Now let me just say when you're talking about when you're talking about preschoolers, there really are, I'm being honest with you now, there really are two main categories of those right teachers. First and foremost, and absolutely first and foremost, is the parents themselves. Mom, dad, family members that are directly attached towards raising the children, okay? And so sometimes it could be another family member that is raising these precious children. It could be, again, a grandparent, a grandmother, a grandfather, but people that are the primary caregivers for these children become then the primary teacher, and we want to make sure that we are biblically equipped so that we can be that right teacher. But let me say to you also, I believe what God would intend for every child is that not only do they have the right teacher in that parent that is teaching them, but also the Bible teachers in your local church. You need to have a part. You need to be faithful in your local church. And your children, as well as each of the different family members, needs to be under the word of God. So we teach then at preschool level, uh, and we teach then, uh, again, preschool age classes, and first, second, and third, fourth, boys classes, girls classes. We teach in teen classes, single young adults that are taking place right now tonight. And, of course, we teach in adults in all the different uh, demographics or groups for the adults in that. And so we're teaching the Word of God. And so this teaching of the Word of God is so important for children, for them to be able to get a hold of these truths uh, that God has for each one of them. Here's another quote that I want you to, to see here also, and it tells us uh, how one handles success or failure is determined by their what now? by their early childhood, okay? So we want to understand about teaching children in the ways of the Lord. And teaching children in the ways of the Lord uh, is going to help them in the way that they handle or deal with things throughout life. Now listen, I'm not trying to be critical or cynical in any way here, but how many of us have met an adult that really was a drama queen or... Uh, or drama king, or whatever the case may be. Have you met somebody that just was really just over-the-top dramatic, okay? And one of the reasons for over-the-top dramatic is that, one, they don't know how to deal with problems or pressures, or two, 
They were raised in, self, in such a self-centric way that they're constantly needed attention drawn towards themselves. But all of that has to do with the right training and teaching of those, those children when they're very young so that they can be able to have the right kind of a spirit and attitude in order to go forward and to be able to be happy and solid and emotionally stable to have, you know, EI, to have some emotional intelligence to them, right? Uh, and I don't know if you noticed, but <coughs> people who lack EI, emotional intelligence, tell on themselves every time they post on social media. You're just announcing to the world that you're a basket case, amen? You're just letting everybody know, and you seem to be proud about it, amen? Uh, I've said before about social media that this whole generation that are young adults now find their whole self-identity in being a victim. They have to be a victim about anything. Victim, victim, you know. I was mistreated and I was abused and, and they're, they're a victim, victim. And they're people that are genuinely abused. But just because somebody told you no at some point in your life doesn't mean you were abused. Amen? In fact, the lack of you being told no is why you had such a problem with an authority telling you no, right? And you just lacked just an emotional stability that really is learned, listen to me now, in the preschool years. It is. That's when you learn how to deal with things and cope with things and be able to have some stability in that way. So now, we're in this passage now in 2 Timothy 3. And we're going to look at 14, 15, and then we're going to jump back to chapter number 1. We're just going to read these to put them together, and then I'm going to give to you some points from this, okay? Uh, and again, just so much detail that not all of this, of course, is in the note. But some things that you want to jot down will certainly be a help to you. So 2 Timothy 3, and then in verse 14, the Bible says, But continue thou, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. Now this was the reference that is in the womb. And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is pr profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now turn back to chapter 1 if you would of 2 Timothy and then verse number 5. Chapter 1 and verse number 5. Chapter 1 and verse number 5. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee. Paul is writing to Timothy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee. Which dwelt first in thy, what now? Grandmother, Lois. And in thy mother, Eunice. Or Eunice actually would be pronounced. And I am persuaded that it is in thee also. And so Paul said to Timothy, I'm so blessed and encouraged by your faith in God. But I know that a big part of the faith that you have in God was taught to you by a godly mother and by a godly grandmother. Now let me say how wonderful it is it when men are involved in this also. But Paul did not say specifically that Timothy had a godly father. In fact, he did not. In essence, he had an unsaved father. And nor did he seem to have had a godly grandfather. But thank God, because a child can be sanctified by one believing parent. So thank God that he had a godly mother and he had a godly grandmother. So because of that, 
it, faith in God was instilled in him. So let's talk about this for a moment. So childhood development then depends on the right teachers. This is what we're talking about in these verses that we just read. So the right teachers, the right teachers are the parents, the grandparents, the family members that immediately have a responsibility in raising these young children, and also then the church teachers and those that are teaching you the word of God. Hebrews 13 says to us that we are supposed to honor those who teach to us the word of God, okay? And so I want to say also then that not only was it right teachers, but it was systematic training. It says that you have been taught, okay? And so there was some purposefulness, some intentionality. I'm not talking about the teacher having to have a theological master's degree. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm just saying being very intentional about training your children just in love and support and emotional uh, stabilities in their life, but also very much so teaching them and training them in the Word of God. Just going through and reading a book of the Bible and talking about a few basic things, praying about it, and all of those things. And so this matter of right teachers then is that you need to start early. We mentioned this already, but literally to start while they're in the womb. You say, that, that doesn't make sense. How do I do that? Well, let me just give to you the next one. If you're going to be a right teacher, you need to have the right curriculum. Amen? You need to have the right manual, which is the Word of God. Amen? Listen to me. I've heard so many parents over the years say that I wish that children came with an instruction manual. And I'm always real quick to tell them that they do come with an instruction manual. It's called the Bible, the Word of God. This is the instruction manual for raising children. This will work better than anything that you could ever imagine. There is so much secularism and Freudism that is out there uh, as far as advice about how we're supposed to raise our children. But listen to me now. Listen to me as I say this carefully. Let God be true and every man a liar. And so if there is teaching that contradicts the Bible, then God is right and they are wrong. Whoever the they is, right? They're wrong. And so the Bible is the truth of the word of God. Now, we're supposed to, that you've known the Holy Scriptures from a child that I've known the Holy Scriptures. All scriptures given by inspiration of God. Those are the verses that we just read. So here's what we say. That you are supposed to then start training a child from the time when they're still in the womb. Now, mama, let me say, that really means you more than anybody else. Here's what scientifically they've discovered. And that is that a baby recognizes mother's voice before they are ever born. Why? Because they hear the voice and the vibrations while they are still in mother's womb. Now, certain other voices they do. Some of the ladies in our church were sure that their baby or their child knew my voice while I was preaching. In fact, got happy while I was preaching, amen? Jumping up and down and shouting and praising the Lord while they were still in the womb. But let me just say this to you. Mama, listen to me now. If your baby, mama, listen to me now. If your baby knows your voice that what better words could come from your spoken voice than reading the Bible aloud. Reading the Bible aloud. Reading the Bible aloud. Because the very voice of you speaking the word of God will be heard by the child that God has placed in your womb. So I want to promise you that starting early, early, biblical early childhood development means reading the word of God to your baby before he's even born. Amen. You got to read the Bible, number one. You got to read the Bible aloud, number two. Amen. 
Doesn't have to be sophisticated. It's just reading the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let me promise you, every baby needs to hear that. In fact, what's interesting about this passage that we read is that it says as they hear the word of God, that it's able to make, listen to me now, it's able to make them wise unto salvation. So the important thing about teaching uh, preschoolers is, is that you are grounding them with a solid biblical foundation that will lead them to embrace Jesus Christ as soon as they understand that they need to be saved. Because you've already laid that Bible foundation to them. It'll be completely natural. It'll be completely supernatural for them to believe on Jesus Christ and be saved because they've been raised up under the word of God. Amen? I want to promise you, literally almost every child on planet Earth would get saved if they were reared up from before they were born on the word of God. They'd get saved. They'd get saved. Amen? You say, oh, preacher, I didn't get saved till later on in life and my children were already partially grown or completely grown. Then I would say, you've got to challenge them to pray and we'll talk about that in the coming weeks. But right now what we're talking about is just newborn babies, all right? And I want to say that there's nothing more important than you reading the Bible to them, reading the word of God to them. I cannot tell you how many moms and dads feel awkward in reading the Bible to their children because they think that they don't know enough. And they kind of bail out on reading the Bible to their children because they think they don't know enough about it. And let me just promise you this. The Holy Spirit of God will teach them. You do not have to give them a word of explanation or commentary. Just read the Bible. Turn off your TV. Turn off the YouTube. Turn off the Netflix. And pick up your Bible and read to them the word of God. Amen? Read to them the word of God. They need to hear it. They need to hear it. Because as they hear the Holy Scriptures, even in the womb... It was preparing a biblical foundation of faith for them to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior later on in their life. That's what it's doing. Guys, put the air down if you would want to agree. Make sure the fan's spinning and you're looking at me funny. Okay. So, um, so anyway, so that's what we want to do. So that's it. Now, let's go on to the next one if you would because this is important. This is good stuff. How then, how to train your preschooler. How to train your preschooler. Now we're going to look at a verse that we saw already. Or you can see it right there in your notes. But it's Proverbs chapter 22. So if you can't get there quickly or whatever, you'll see that in your notes uh, earlier up under point number one. But it's Proverbs 22 and verse number six. This is a really powerful verse. It's a really powerful verse. And we want to just look at it a little bit further. And so it says this. It says train up a child. So how is it that we train our preschooler? We train up a child. Verse number six, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Now, we're not right now looking so much at the last part of the promise of it that he will not depart from it, but here's what we understand is that we are supposed to train up a child. That child then deals again with an infant up to an adolescent. And so here's the idea of this. The idea of this is, is if we're very faithful to teach the word of God from zero to seven, listen to me now, if we are very faithful to teach the word of God from zero to seven, then they will be much more likely to go forward and to live for Jesus the rest of their life. Man, that should have got an amen from every person in here. Good night. If we are really faithful to train up our children in the ways of the Lord from zero to seven, it is very likely they will go forward and live for Jesus for the rest of their life. Now, I know that we would like to say, oh, and I did that. 
Well, I just said a moment ago, turn off the TV, turn off Netflix, and read the Bible to them. It's got to be a regular daily thing. You've got to do that, right? And again, if you made priority of everything else, and you were always just distracted by everything else, and you always had your phone in front of your face, and you're always watching every video that came up on your phone, but not investing in your children, then listen to me now, you didn't do what Proverbs 22, 6 said. I don't care how much you think you did, you didn't. Just being honest, amen? And so it says to train up a child in the way he should go. Now, let's look at this for a second. So train up, just follow the squiggly. Now, train up them means to do what now? To narrow. Do you realize that this life offers way too many possibilities for anyone to ever be able to fulfill? Yeah, wide is the way of destruction, right? But narrow is the way to life everlasting. So what we are doing is helping them to narrow their choices. Let's be honest, okay? Well, I just want my kids to have free expression. I want them to express things. Okay. Do they need to express the thrill of jumping off a building to decide whether they like it or not? Because here's my thought. If they do like it, they're only going to like it for 10 seconds. And that's it. It's gone. Right? Well, I want my kid to experience whether they like to play with rattlesnakes or not. Well, if they like doing it, they won't like doing it for long. Let's just understand that life does not work if we don't properly do what now? Narrow it. Listen to me now. Life does not work unless we properly what now? Narrow it. And what is going to be the decision maker that narrows their choices? Because God is true. God knows. I don't know. God knows. Amen? So we need to be raising them for the Lord. It deals with the matter of helping to have disciplines in their life. Listen to me now. One of the main, listen to this. One of the main reasons, studies have showed one of the main reasons why young adults are not happy is because of a total lack of discipline in their youth. They did not have discipline and structure. They lived this self-expressing, self-fulfilling way of life. And they were not, are not, will not be happy. And it's much harder to learn this later on in life. Amen? And so this train-up means to narrow, to discipline, and then to create a dedication, to dedicate then to the Lord and to the things of the Lord. So we're trying to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. So we're trying to train them. We're going to train them up in this way. There's very specific diligence and training that we give to them. The next thing we're going to do is it talks about to train them up in the way. The way then is a road that is trodden, okay? It's not a new path that nobody's ever traveled before. It's a very clear path, but also it's a straight and narrow path, which is the word of God. And so figuratively, it's a course of life or it's a mode of action. So what happens then is that we train them. And I want to say, if I can, that every parent to some degree is cha- training their children, whatever that may be. In some homes or households, the dad or the mom is training their kids to be completely financially consumed. Money, money, money. And that's what they're training them, right? There are some parents that are training their kids to be totally angry and bitter it just amazes me the amount of anger that we have in our society today mad and screaming and beating people up and punching people in the face for no reason it's like there was a serious lack of training that took place or no training at all or by default training in very carnal selfish self-centered ways 
but the training happens. But what we need to do is be very intentional to be training them up in that way, which is the straight and narrow way. It's just so very, very important. Now, you'll see on there that it tells us on letter C then that Samuel was trained to serve the Lord. We already spoke of Samuel with his little ephod. And in 1 Samuel 2 and 18, you'll see there, it says, But Samuel ministered before the Lord, being a what now? A child. Being a child, it was girded with a linen ephod or that priest type of a robe is what it was that he had. But Samuel learned to serve God as a child. Why? Because parents trained him in the ways of the Lord. Amen? They trained him in the ways of the Lord. That's what they did. That's what the parents did for him. Now, let's look at this if we would. Then two areas then. Two areas to train your preschoolers in. Two areas to train your preschoolers in. So this was by Frederick Douglass. A great. This is great. He says it's easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. Amen? And that's where we are in society today, right? We're not raising strong children, so what do we have? We have a lot of broken people. And, um, and it's really hard to fix. I, I don't know if you understand this, but prison is really not a good correction system. You know? They're in their correctional institute. Well, I don't know how much correction takes place there, right? You remove them from society. You remove them from other direct influences on other people. But the training and correction part needed to start way back here with the children, amen? And that's where it needed to take place. Now, let's look at this, if we would, then, to train our children to develop a personal walk with God. I want you, if you would, to turn to 2 Chronicles, okay? And so you'll see that there uh, in your bulletin, I think, in 2 Chronicles 34 and then verse number 3, okay? So turn there, if you would, if you can find that. I'll read it for us when we get there. But we're going to be in 2 Chronicles 34. I think I said that wrong. 2 Chronicles 34 and then in verse number 3. So if you'll find that there, and let's read that if we would together. So 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 34, and then in verse number 3. It says, you'll see in 34, verse number 1, what does it say there now? Josiah. And it says, Josiah was how old? Eight years old when he began to reign. Verse number 3, for in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to do what now? Seek after the God of David, his father, in the twelfth year. Uh, in the uh, in the twelfth uh, year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. So God used Josiah really in a very very great way. It's amazing. Now, just really quickly, what I want to say about that is this: is that um, Josiah then was one serving in a position of leadership. He was over all the nation of Israel when he was just eight years old. And then as a young man, he learned to faithfully seek the Lord. Now I want to say that the reason why this zero to seven idea is so vitally important is because as you start to go beyond that, you start to become to some degree or to a very great degree hardened by the things of the world and as you become hardened by the things of the world uh, it is much harder for the spirit of God the word of God to penetrate their hearts it is much harder the clay is much less soft and pliable and moldable but it is much more stiff and hardened and it's very difficult to deal with all right and so what happened with Josiah is he was trained then to seek the Lord very early here's what I want to say if children are trained to seek God early if they're trained in the ways of the Lord early, then they will learn to seek God personally. Okay? 
Now, if your children are a little bit older, so let's just start at seven, seven, eight, nine, ten. Let me ask you this now. If your children are a little bit older, listen to me now, do they have a personal daily Bible reading time? If your children are seven, eight, or nine, do they read the Bible themselves every day? They should. Amen. I know what I'm talking about. They should be reading the Bible. Amen. And so it's vital for them to do that. And they, and they should be learning to read the Bible then on their own and have a Bible reading time, a prayer time, having a spiritual desire for the things of God. All right. Uh, and then they'll be willing to do the hard things. This is amazing. Josiah said, we're going to go and we're going to tear down the high places. Now, I don't know if you understand this or not, but when people turn away from God and when they make idols and they put them up in the mountains and that, those are their gods. And people don't take a liking to you going in and destroying their gods. They don't like that very much. Amen? Go into a Buddhist temple with a sledgehammer and start busting all the fat Buddhas. Amen? And, and see if anybody objects to that, right? This is what Josiah was doing. Our politicians today need to get a dose of this, of being willing to do the hard thing. Amen? But he was willing to do the hard thing because he walked with God. And he had God on his life. And he had a personal walk with God. A personal relationship with God. And so because of that, God could bless him and God could use him. Now, let's look at this, if you would, as we go on. And that is that we would train our preschoolers in morality. We want to train our preschoolers in morality. Now, I list this here, and it's probably not a need to do this, but some of the things that I read maybe uh, kind of catch your attention. If they do, then that's great. And let's just look at this if we would. And so training your preschoolers in morality. Now, again, life is not just about morality, but if there's a time to teach your kids about right and wrong, it obviously is very early on. So when you talk even about zero uh, to one years old, so up to the first birthday, if you would, listen to some things here and just some studies to show this uh, of what kids can respond to in these different ages. And so morality then takes a long time to develop uh, a child's sense of right and wrong uh, but a child's sense of right and wrong begins by their first birthday. So it takes a long time. It's a long process of teaching children to have real ingrained embedded morality, to do right and to want to be fair and honest and not cheat people and steal and lie and deceive and all of that. It takes a lot of training in order to bring them to that. But as children are raised up in the ways of the Lord, by their first birthday, there can be a real sense, if you would, of right and wrong. Then morality then starts with teaching good habits and children learning habits uh, as soon as after they're born. One of the reasons why mothers, and I'm, I'm not speaking from personal experience on this, but I am speaking from experience from, you know, all the ladies in our family, okay? One of the reasons why mamas get so completely worn out is because they put themselves on the baby's schedule instead of putting the baby on your schedule. And I realize that'll get me stoned, right? You know, you know, people start throwing songbooks at me. But you can actually choose to bring them onto your schedule and not you onto their schedule whenever they fancy decide that they want to eat. And it's 2 o'clock and 3 o'clock in the morning or whatever it is. You can bring them onto your schedule. But it's a matter then of teaching them good habits from the very beginning of life, right? You can do that. And it helps to build discipline in their life. 
to have personal discipline that will help them then to make right choices in their life. All morality then, of course, comes from the Word of God. All morality, so as you read the Bible from before they're even born, and you're reading the Bible to them, that Bible is instilling in them biblical morality. Now when you talk from one to three, from one to three, okay? So after the first birthday, a child then begins to start to learn boundaries. Boundaries, what is okay and what is not okay, all right? So boundaries then start to come or develop then at this time. You cannot touch this. Listen to me now, you do not have to childproof your entire home because you have a toddler in your home. You just teach them what they can and what they cannot touch. You teach them that because they need to learn personal disciplines in their life, amen? So you teach them that. Again, you do not go on their schedule, they go on to your schedule, right? And so you just teach them that. So toddlers then do not yet have the ability to truly distinguish between what is right and wrong, but instead, the parent then defines morality for them by your behavior because you are helping them to recognize this code of ethics, this right or wrong. And so you're helping them to be able to do that. Uh, they're playing with the toy, another child decides they want that toy more than your child and they try to take it away. And so your child whacks them over the head, right? And so what you do is that you teach them uh, about boundaries and behaviors of right and wrong. Uh, and then as you consistently give guidance and correction in their life, then even in that terrible twos and threes, even in that age, it will impact their behavior and they will, in fact, learn right and wrong, okay? Now, they can learn it, all right? So if you think the twos are terrible, just wait to the, to the threes. And if you think the threes are terrible, then just wait to the fours. I want to promise you they will not get better on their own. Amen? They will not get better on their own. You have to teach them and guide them. And it has to do with leadership, and sometimes we're just scared to death to lead, okay? And so it takes, comes with leadership. And how the next one, just in this category, is fours and fives. So preschoolers then begin now, in fours and fives, begin to develop then their ideas very clearly of what is right and wrong. And they can really follow rules and really be given rules and really to understand that. They can be motivated towards really wanting to do right. They could be motivated by not wanting or to avoid any kind of punishment. But as you're training them up properly in this range of four and five, what's exciting is, is that they start to understand what's right and wrong and they start to desire to want to do right. And this is what you're training them, okay? And now they genuinely, they wanna please God, they wanna do the right thing, amen? And so Josh was correcting Titus. And um, now when my kids were growing up, every one of them needed whooping every day. But my grandkids, I'm just not so sure, amen? But Josh was correcting Titus about something and he was so strong-willed, he just did not want to stop what he was doing. And he's crying and he looks at, Titus looks at Josh and he says, I want Jesus to be happy with me. And so, Josh says, if you want Jesus to be happy with you, then you need to obey, okay? And so he was kind of torn between, on the one hand, he wanted Jesus to be happy with him. On the other hand, he really wanted his own way, amen? But all of this is just consistent training in order to help them to be able to come along. And so what we're doing is just consistently, we're helping them to set very clear boundaries for them. 
consequences for disobedience and just encouragement in that as they obey and you give to them those really clear boundaries. Now, the next part of it, we're just going to jump into our bulletin there. So this is a part that I want for you to look at, if you would, uh, and just to be able to uh, understand, again, these things that we have uh, here for us, okay? And so now, having laid down a biblical foundation, let's just talk about some practical things real quick. And I've gone too long, and I'm shocked because that's never happened before in all these years of ministry. So, now, here's what I want you to understand. Listen to me now. I want you to understand there really is a power of parental authority, okay? So, Paul and Silas are in jail. They're singing and praising God, Acts chapter 16. God sends this earthquake. The Philippian jailer, you know, going to kill himself. Don't kill yourself. And then he comes down, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in thine house and thou shalt be saved. The same hour of the night, the Philippian jailer takes Paul and Silas to his home. You know, he wakes up, mama jailer and all the baby jailers. And Paul gives to them the very same gospel. Listen to me now. The jailer got saved. And because of his parental leadership in the home, his wife got saved. And his children, they were all of an age of accountability, all got saved. Now, I want to promise you this. You have more leadership, authority, and influence in your children's lives than you realize you do. By the grace of God, you just got to rise up and lead. Amen, preacher. You just got to rise up and lead. Amen. Now, this is kind of in a sequential order by age. But hopefully some of these things will be a help to you. Okay, so number one is you need to read to your children. Read to your children. Listen, it's, it's just recommended by everybody in the world. Obviously, secular people, psychologists won't tell you to read the Bible. But listen to me and listen to this is what God says. Read the Bible to them. Read the Bible to them. Now listen, don't take a cop out and say, I just always read them a Bible storybook. You know the reason why you read a Bible storybook is not because you're scared that they don't understand. You're scared that you don't understand. Amen, I know what I'm talking about. Read them the Bible. Read them the Bible. They're not going to understand everything in that Bible storybook either. So just read them the Bible. Amen? Now, as they get older and they read on their own, I'm not saying they can never not read a Bible storybook. But here's what I am saying. The Bible storybook does not have the promise of God of having transformational power in their life. But the Bible has transformational power in their life. It will change their lives if you'll just read the Bible. Is there any question about where I stand on that? Did I not make myself clear? This is a really good parenting question. Did I not make myself clear? Okay? So now, then, number two there, we want to make then close, strong eye contact. Listen, there's actually a syndrome that, uh, that psychologists and that are defining today that babies have. And that is basically, in essence, the baby is chasing mama's eyes, which is not fixated on the baby, but on their phone. And there is literally a syndrome for that. And the baby is like desperately trying to get your attention, but your phone has more of your attention than the baby does. Shame on you. I said that. Yes, I said that. Shame on you. Because that baby needs as much as anything to be able to make that eye contact with you. Their eyesight is, is more short distance. You're holding them up close and they can be able to see your face. They can see the movement of your eyes. They can see the movement of your lips. And so you need to make close eye contact with them. Number three, then you need to shower them with attention and love. You say, I'm going to spoil them. Listen, if you teach them to do right, 
then you'll not necessarily spoil them. I'm not saying give them everything they ever want. The financial remuneration wasn't listed in here at all. But what is listed in here is the matter of just giving to them attention and love and just having that dedication towards them. Number four, sing to them. Even if you sing as bad as me, sing to them. Amen? Sing to them. You need to sing to them. So one time, my wife had gone away one of the first times where we'd gone away overnight. Uh, so Jeremy and Mark were older and Anna was younger. And so uh, these, these people then, Marty Heinzelman put Anna to bed and Anna was crying. Marty couldn't get her settled down. So she goes to the boys and said, what do I need to do because Anna's not settling down? They quickly said to her, you need to sing to her. Marty said, oh my, that will scare her to death. Jeremy, you go sing to her. And so Jeremy went in and sat in his bed and sang to her. And she calmed down very peacefully and she went to sleep. You need to sing to them. Amen? You need to sing to them good Christian songs and you need to sing to them. All right? And so Jeremy was nice to Anna. Mark was mean to her. <laughs> because he had like all the attention until she came along. So number five then, use complete sentences. Do not talk baby talk. Amen? Just talk to your children, amen, it'll be fine. You don't have to talk to them in big words, you don't even know them anyway. So just talk to them in more complete sentences because you are teaching them, you're instructing them as you do it. Number six then, encourage your children to play well with others. Encourage your children to play well with others, but do not jump in and rescue them all the time. It's okay if they get clobbered over the head every once in a while. It teaches them boundaries and how to get along, amen? It teaches them that life is not always fair. You don't have to be a helicopter mama over your kids correcting everybody else's kids because you think yours are abused in some way. Just chill out, amen? And so all of these things are just a part of growth and development. I mean, they are, amen? <laughs> but, but my wife never trusted me with our kids, so why are you listening to me? <laughs> Number seven. Teach them then to play well on their own so that they do not require constant attention, right? And so there's this balance of this, okay? So you teach them to play with others. And then also you have them, you set them with their toys and you instruct them, here's what you want to do. Build this train track or run this train around the track or run this matchbox around the track. And then as they start to play, we just walk away. Now, as soon as they notice you walk away, they're going to chase after you. And then what you do is just bring them back again and set them down and say, no, play with the cars, play with the track, run this car around the track and all that, and then you walk away. And that won't happen right away, but there's this need for that attention, 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 and it's part of a necessary thing. Kids have a little bit different personality, but you want them to be able to play very well and get along with others. You want them also to be able to play with themselves, play, play by themselves, and not to demand constant attention because it creates a very short attention span, which is going to hurt them in many ways on later in their life. They need to be able to sit down and read a book and not to have to have you right there every second with them. They need to be able to read a book or whatever it is. They don't need electronics all day long. And neither do you, Mama. So then number eight, you want to laugh with them and teach them to laugh at themselves. Quit getting offended all the time. You're not the most important thing. The world doesn't revolve around you. Amen. I know that you think that your kids are the smartest people on planet Earth. But it's okay. They'll do something wrong. They'll laugh about it and go back at it and do it right the next time. Amen. So number nine then, help them to work through problems. Help them to work through problems. Help them to work through problems when they are upset. Teaching them to be happy and emotionally stable. Okay. Do not allow them just to pitch a fit. 
just calm them down, set them down, and help them to work through whatever the problem is. They're trying to put the trains together, it's the track together, it's not going together, and they're mad and they're angry and they're pitching a fit. Teach them how to set down, show them how to do it, make them do it themselves, help them to work through a problem, not becoming an emotional wreck because of the problem, okay? You need to learn how to work things out. Number 10, then teach your children obedience by clear, clear, simple instructions of what not to do specifically, and then in turn what to do, all right? You have to teach them. Don't assume that they automatically know what it is that they are supposed to do, okay? Now listen, number 11, do not laugh at and video them in their disobedience. I know who I'm talking to. I know the generation I'm talking to. Listen, you didn't have a meal out unless you took a picture of it and put it on social media. And you're not parenting your kid unless you take every disobedient thing they do and video it and throw it on social media and laugh at it. There's a whole bunch of things you ought not be laughing about. You ought to be correcting them. I know I'm old-fashioned. But hopefully there's an ounce of biblical uh, foundation in that. Amen? Number 12. Listen, we're late, but you're here now. We might as well stay on to the end. Amen? Be clear and consistent. Be clear and consistent with discipline. Explain and show the behavior that you expect. Now, it's similar to the other one, but it's a matter of modeling it. Don't assume that they know exactly what to do. Don't assume that they know how to clean their room. Don't assume that they know how to wash the dishes. Have any of you ever assumed before they knew how to wash the dishes? Caused quite a mess, didn't it? Amen? In fact, some of you won't trust your kids to do the dishes at all because you haven't showed them how to do it. Just start out with plastic cups. <laughs> My wife only gives me plastic cups. <coughs> 13. Give your children simple tasks with few steps. Remind them and mentor them through the process. You say, Pastor, why would I do that? Let me give you the simple answer. Because you do not want to be raising them for the rest of your life. You want them to give to you in your retirement instead of you taking care of them in your retirement. There ought to be an amen on that. So train them right. Take the time to train them at the time that training is most needed, which is exactly what we're talking about today, which is preschooler. Amen? That's what it is. It's preschooler. So the four stages of parenting deals then first with preschoolers. Zero to five. You could say as much as zero to seven in that time, but it is crucial, vital time for teaching and training, and it's so very important. Now, you say, my kids are past that, and I understand that, okay? But it doesn't hurt to learn the right way to do something, even if it's after the fact, amen?